Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church Texas. Okay. Um, actually, before I, I read a few verses, I, I have to start off with an apology. Um, and I know it's slightly nerve-wracking if a pastor gets up and says, I need to confess something. But this is it's a good confession. Last week, I announced marriage ministry kicking off Becoming One. And I forgot to double-check that you could actually go online and register, and you couldn't. But now, you can. So if you want to sign up for Becoming One, amazing 10 weeks where you, get, you and your spouse get to be coached by another amazing couple or coach couple here. Uh, make sure you don't want to miss that. But also, I mean, within the program, you get these amazing teachings from one of our uh, amazing licensed family uh, counselor therapists in here. She understands the science behind it all, but also the spiritual foundation behind it all. It, it's 10 weeks that will radically change your life. And if you have kids, there's childcare, so no excuses. You guys can go online, uh, oakschurch.com slash events and sign up for Becoming One. It kicks off actually in a few weeks on March 29th, so you won't want to miss out about that. All right, so answering the call and discipleship. Uh, If you're a parent in the room, on the way home and throughout this week, you can talk to your kids about what's happening in our elementary services and preschool services. They're also talking about discipleship. They're talking about what it means to be Jesus' sheep or God's sheep and follow him. In preschool, they're talking about that as well. What does that mean to follow God? So today, after this message and throughout the week, you can engage your kids and talk about what does it look like to be a disciple. Here's the first verse I want to read. Uh, In Matthew 28, it's after Jesus was resurrected, and he presents himself to a few people, not a few, but a lot of people. And in one of his appearances, he makes this call. He makes this challenge to the group. Many of us know this verse in Matthew 28, verse 19. He says, go into all the world and disciple all nations. That's a big challenge. All nations, all people group, all languages, disciple them. Well, let's define disciple for a second. I'll use this this working definition today. A disciple is someone who has helped to believe and live God's word. It's someone who has helped to live and believe God's word, to see what it's like to carry it out in their day-to-day life. It's what Jesus did with those disciples three years, showing them what is it like to be a vessel for God everywhere you go. What is it like to disciple nations? And here's a verse or a story that many of us often point to when we think about discipleship. In Luke 5, we see the story of Jesus. He had just gone through Galilee performing these miracles, and now he's on the northwest corner of Galilee on a plain called Gesineret. In fact, uh, Pastor Brandon and Pastor Joel, they were in the Sea of Galilee area and posted some pictures about it the other day. But Jesus in Luke 5 is on this edge of the Sea of Galilee, and people are following him. And as they get to the sea edge, he realizes he, he needs to minister, but he needs to be able to put himself in a place to where they can be heard. So he goes to these two fishermen, these brothers, Simon and Andrew, and tells them, I need to use your boat to minister. They say, whatever master, whatever you need. He gets in the boat, goes out a little bit from the edge, ministers to the crowd. After he's done ministering, they bring the boat back in. He looks at Simon and says, hey, uh, go out into the deep, cast your net to catch some fish. 
And Simon looks at him, man, I've been fishing all night. We tried, we're cleaning our nets, we're done. And they said, well, master, as you say, we'll go out and do it. And then they go out and a miracle happens. Not only do they pull in fish that overflow their boat, but they have to call James and John, other brothers, also future disciples, and their boat gets filled as well. And as they come back amazed, Simon looks at Jesus uh, in Luke 5, verse 10 and 11. He says, man, I'm a, I'm a sinful man. I, I don't deserve this. And Jesus looks at Simon and says, well, today, don't be afraid. For now on, you're going to be catching men. And then it says they drop everything and follow him. This, this story, or a version of the story, is told throughout the other four Gospels, or at least two of them in Matthew and Mark. But Matthew and Mark kind of just gets you the big picture. They say, Jesus goes to the sea edge. He says, follow me, and they go. And so often, that is our picture of discipleship. He's walking around. You look great. Follow me. Drop everything. Here we go. But what if that's not how it took place? What if there was some interactions that preceded the call to discipleship? I looked at Luke 5, and I thought, okay, I want to understand more the process of how Jesus called the disciples. If we're going to talk about being discipled or being a discipler, we should probably look at the greatest discipler who ever existed, right, and what he did. So I looked at Luke chapter 4, and I saw a story that I had never read, especially in parallel or connecting it to the discipleship process. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is doing miracles throughout Galilee. People are amazed. This is soon after his ministry was launched, soon after he came out of the desert and, and went through those temptations. And after one day in Luke 4, verse 38, this is where I'll read. This is speaking of Jesus. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. This is the same Simon in whom Luke 5, he uses his boat. He tells him to drop everything to be a disciple. The same Simon who later changes his name becomes Peter. He goes to Simon's house. Simon was also married. And now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he, Jesus, stood over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. When I read this verse and tried to look at its connections to discipleship, a few things stuck out to me. The first one was this. I think the first miracle that took place in this story was Simon asking for his mother-in-law to be healed. Why? Because most of us, if our mother-in-law is sick, we're running the opposite direction, right? You quarantine yourself. I'm glad I get a little break from you. Don't call, don't text. Let me know when you're healthy. I'll see you later, All right? We, we, we look forward to the break from the mother-in-law, not me. My mother-in-law was in first service. I love her very much. We hang out all the time. I would ask Jesus to heal her if she was sick. But he asked for Jesus to heal his mother-in-law. And then the next thing that took place that, that struck me as interesting, it says that Jesus stood over her and rebuked the high fever. You don't rebuke physical things. You rebuke spiritual things. But it says that she had a high fever, which means Jesus entered the room. And while everyone else in the room in Simon's house saw the physical manifestations of what looked like a fever, Jesus was instead seen and attached to something else, something more. He looked at what they saw physically but recognized a spiritual birthplace to what was ailing her. And so he rebuked the spirit. What, what would it look like in our lives 
when we're faced with something physically, if we were to pause and ask God, what is the spiritual root or birthplace to this? How often do we pray about the fruit hanging off a tree? We're praying about the things we can see and not pausing to ask God, but what is really underneath that we need to really speak to? That's what Jesus did in that moment. He didn't speak to the fever physically. He spoke to whatever the spiritual presence that was plaguing her. Imagine doing that in your marriage with your kids. They might be disrespecting you in a moment or disobeying, but what if there's something deeper within there that there's this root that's growing of mistrust or bitterness? Or what if there's this spirit of manipulation that you're seeing with your boss? What if you paused to ask God, what is the spiritual birthplace of what I'm seeing that I need to actually speak to? That was the second thing that amazed me. And then the third thing that amazed me was that it says after she was healed, she got up and began to serve them. I, I read that and my imagination ran a little wild. I can almost see Simon hanging out at home, talking to his wife, and he says, hey, uh, today I, I could really use that, that famous recipe, that fish fry. If you can cook that up in the oven, that would just make my day. You know, do a little fried okra on the side, a little mashed potatoes, maybe some sweet potatoes too. Like, and he's looking at his wife. He starts salivating. And she goes, well, I mean, only my mom really knows how to cook it that well the way you like it. And so he looks at his brother Andrew like, bro, come on, can you cook some fish for me? He's like, man, I know how to catch it. I know how to find them, but I don't know how to cook it. And everyone is realizing they're starting to get hungry and the cooker is sick. She has a high fever. So like, Jesus, we're going to starve unless you heal my mother-in-law. She needs to cook us some dinner. That's kind of where my imagination ran, that they realized they weren't going to eat unless mother-in-law was healed because let's, let's be real, sometimes when mom goes down, the house goes into chaos, right? Dads, it's okay, no shame, but we know every once in a while, if mom is sick, we're looking at the pantry and we're looking at the kids and we know breakfast, lunch, and dinner, everybody's getting cereal. We can do that. Milk, cereal, bowl. Don't ask for oatmeal, too many extra ingredients, butter, I don't know where that is, salt, what? No. Cereal we can do. When mom goes down, things get a little crazy. So in my imagination, they were freaking out because they were ready for dinner, but mom was sick. That's not at all what happened, but that's just, that's me interjecting an idea. Take that as you will. But in this story, as I looked at Luke 4, I realized that Luke 5 wasn't the first time Jesus saw or had met Simon and Andrew. In fact, you can see in other verses that some theologians believe they were disciples of John the Baptist. And since John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, that means they definitely would have met him on other occasions. So as I looked at these interactions, and I looked at what happened in Luke 4 and Luke 5, it led me to this thought about answering the call and what happens even before we answer the call and how we can interact with people around us. The first thing Jesus did in Luke 4 was meet a need. He met a need of Simon's home. He went and visited him personally. He saw that a need was his mother-in-law, a family member was sick. He prayed and she was healed. In fact, he rebuked and she was healed. He met a need before ever calling him to be a disciple. I, I, this part of the story backs up things I've heard over the past few years in, in the realm of leadership. And even in interactions, maybe you've heard the phrase, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. 
Jesus inserted himself into Simon's personal life. He was demonstrating, not only do I care about what happens when we're on this journey for discipleship, but I care what happens at home. What would that look like for us? If we were to look around and ask that question, in, in high school, before I was a junior in high school, the summer before my junior year, I got a new drum teacher, and I was super excited. I heard some great things about this guy, but I met him a few days before summer started. He pulled me aside and asked me about some of my goals for drumming, and I told him, well, I want to get better at drum set. I want to get better at tenor drumming. He says, okay, let me help you with that. And he, he, he pointed to the uh, corner of the band hall and said, you see that set of tenors over there? I want you to take that home for the entire summer and practice. I'm like, awesome. He goes, have you heard of this book? I'm like, no, I haven't. He's like, well, can you buy it? It's like, I don't have money. I'm a broke high school kid. And so he said, all right, here's the book. Take it home. Work on these pages. Work on these lessons. I'll check on you throughout the summer. And throughout the summer, I would meet up with this guy. And he taught me so much about music, about drumming. This guy was notorious throughout the school year for students regularly hanging out in his office because we knew we would walk in and he'd look up from his computer. There'd be some music playing in the background and he would just say, what's up, dude? How can I help you? And we would sit down and he would show us different composers and genres and singers we had never been exposed to before. And I was willing to listen to the things he wanted to teach me because my first memory, my first interaction with him was him asking me, how can I help you? Let me meet a need in this growth area that you have. And I learned so much from that guy, not only over the two years in high school, but even after that. What would that look like in your marriage? You're busy. Things are, now, I'm telling on myself with this one, too. Because this can happen for all of us. You, you, things are going around. Kids are going crazy. Jobs, lots of demands. But what would happen if you paused? And looked at your spouse and asked, how can I help you? How can I help you? What need do you have that I can meet? What would that look like if that's how you initiated relationships? How can I help you? That boss that is annoying you, that peer, how can I help you? Or even a next step, how is God calling me to minister to you? How is God calling me to minister to you in this moment? It, it challenges us because it forces us to answer this question. Am I more concerned about my needs being met or how God might use me in this moment to meet yours? It forces us. He's, one of the challenges about answering the call, and it forces you into this place of uncomfortable. It forces you out of your social circle, out of the people you're comfortable with to meet someone you maybe have never met, comes from a different experience growing up than you, might even disagree with you on everything religious and political and everything. But if God has called you to that relationship, there's something you bring to that table. Answering the call even forces us off of these islands of pain and isolation we put ourselves on. Maybe we've been hurt in the past and someone betrayed our trust. Someone abused the relationship. And so we've put ourselves on this island and we've said, if anyone wants to engage in a relationship with me, you come to me. I'm not leaving. I feel safe here. I know what to expect here. But if we're really going to answer the call to meet the needs of people around us, to disciple nations, we have to hop in a boat 
leave that island of isolation and pain to meet a need of whoever God brings us to. It's uncomfortable. It's challenging. But it's what Jesus did with Simon before he ever called him to discipleship. And when we allow ourselves to be in this place of uncomfortable, when we allow ourselves to meet a need, I believe we see two things that what Jesus did in Luke 4 and even in Luke 5 did to Simon's life. The first thing, he, when you meet a need, you remove an obstacle in that person's life. When you meet a need, you often remove even a perceived obstacle in their life. A few days ago, I was hanging out at a restaurant in town, getting a delicious taco. It was fantastic. It wasn't fried fish. I wish I would have ordered the fish tacos, but it's okay. It was still delicious chicken. And as I was sitting there talking to the manager at the restaurant, he was sharing with me how he's been talking to some of the people at his job about what God's doing in his life. And one of his employees told him, you know, I, I've never actually read the Bible. I've been curious, but I've never read it before. And that surprised even me hearing it. You could be in Texas, the Bible Belt, and you've never even been curious, maybe even Googled crazy things in the Bible or something like that. She had never read a Bible. So he said, okay. He took out his phone, opened the Bible app, opened to a verse, and said, read this. She read it, and then he looked at her. What did you, what did you understand? Did you learn something? She goes, no, I, ha I have no idea what it said. <laughs> and he goes, that's okay. That's okay. I want you to remember today. He looks at him, why? why? Why should I remember today? He goes, it's, it's the day you first read the Bible, the first day you looked at God's word. Now, over time, she started approaching him more like, I, I'm realizing the things I'm doing in life just aren't working. He goes, that's a great. I know, I know a place that has the answers. That moment he pulled out his phone to show her a verse, he removed a perceived obstacle in her mind between her and God. I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. That's okay. Let's just start here. And then I'll help you continually through the journey as you learn about who God is. Meeting a need in someone's life removes obstacles that they perceive may exist between them and you and even them and God. My mom was also notorious for this. My mom, growing up, she loved to meet people and she would regularly ask them to church and if they were to say, well, I don't have a car to get there, she's like, that's okay. I'll come pick you up. And to me as a kid, we're like, mom, that person lives 45 minutes that direction and church is 45 minutes that direction, but we were going to make the circle. Maybe they said, well, I don't have a place to stay or I need this. She's like, great. How can I meet that need? Maybe if you can't stay with us, I'll connect you with someone who can house you for a few days. She regularly went out of her way to meet the needs of people around her, which meant that she regularly was in a position to minister to people in whatever state they were in. Jesus removed an obstacle from Simon's life. He knew he would call him to discipleship. Now Simon's excuse could not be, well, my mother-in-law's sick. I need to take care of her. I can't leave her with my wife by herself. He removed an obstacle. The second thing it did, and the second thing we do when we meet a need, is we, we reveal God's power and love to someone else. We reveal God's power and love to someone else. What if you are the vessel God wants to use to birth miracles in someone else's life? 
What if you're the vessel God wants to use to birth miracles in someone else's life? That has to start from a posture of you even being ready to answer the call and being ready to meet a need. A few years ago, and actually it was longer than that, it was the ninth grade, that's a, to carry the two, so. but a few years ago, I had this mentor, I won't do the math in the spot, I had this mentor who, who, was, who was teaching me about music and worship, and one day before worship, we're getting ready to lead in a, a youth service, he pulls the whole team aside and he says, hey guys, uh, I want to I challenge you with an idea. And we go, okay, we're listening. He goes, you know, you guys are great musicians. You're great singers. You guys are really talented at what you do. But I would hate for you to be focused solely on playing the right chords or singing the right notes and forget the person you're playing and singing for. And then he said a phrase that I have never forgotten to this day. He said, I want you to always remember you guys are a worshiper before you're a musician. And to this day, if I ever get the opportunity to play drums in a worship set, I still say that phrase out loud to myself. I still, that challenge he said when I was only in ninth grade, it stuck, struck a, it struck a chord within me that, and it was a life-changing perspective on what I was called to do, that somehow just me playing drums could be a vessel for a miracle in someone's life. Just me playing drums was a ministry that God was calling me to. It, I opened up a new paradigm to me. And it showed me something else as I read these verses. The first thing Jesus did was meet a need, but the second thing he did in Simon's life was made a challenge. He made a challenge. He placed a demand on Simon's resources and gifts. When he walked up to him and said, I need your boat to go speak to the people. Simon had always saw his boat as only a mechanism for catching fish. He never saw it as a ministry opportunity to catch men. He practiced and honed his skill of finding fish and catching fish, not even knowing that the very skill he was honing, God would use to show him his ministry purpose. But God was able to challenge his gifts, challenge his resources. And in the relationships around us, what is God calling me to challenge you to do? Or what is the people around you, what is God ch calling you to challenge them to do, to, to help cause a perspective shift, shift for them to realize the things that I'm doing, God can use me in this. I have a gift for finances. Somehow God can use this to show other people how to be free or how to invest wisely or build a legacy for themselves. I have a gift in business management and I understand organizational structure. Somehow God will use that to help show businesses and other people. God wants to use the very gifts and resources you have. That's your ministry and your calling lie within that. But what is God challenging you to do? And who has he put around you for you to challenge and speak to those gifts within them? You know, this randomly just popped in, in my mind, but I know that uh, in first service, uh, helping us in media, we have a kid, one of my favorite kids, I've known him for a few years, uh, named Carson, or Dean, sorry, his brother's Carson. Ooh, he's not in here. I would have gotten his name wrong. Praise the Lord. Okay, so, but he's, he's, only, he's only 12 years old, and he helps with media, and often in this generation, you know, we look at, man, get off of that technology. You guys need to, which there's some truth to that as well. But he has this gift for technology and a love for it all. And we don't even, we may not completely know unless we're attached to what God is doing that while he's back there pressing buttons, cueing the live feed, putting up the next slide, he's learning and honing a skill that God might use him to transform an industry. The things you have, 
God wants to use. What gifts do you have that you don't realize can be used for the ministry God is calling you to? Only two more things, or one more thing. Uh, a few years ago, in 2015, uh, the first time I was on full-time staff at a church, maybe a few days I had been on full-time staff. A pastor, many of you guys may know, Pastor Kevin, he pulled my wife and I aside, and he just began to pray over us, and he prophesied a few things over us. And the other day, that story randomly came to mind, so I pulled up, I had a list of the things he had said, and we, to our amazement, over half of the things he mentioned three years ago, we started to see come true, especially over the past year. And we were just taken aback of this moment that both of us had forgotten about, but God used Pastor Kevin to declare some things in our life that we're still seeing come true to this day. And that's the third thing Jesus did. He met a need, he made a challenge, but then he made a declaration. If you look in Luke 5, verse 4, after he's done ministering, he looks at Simon and says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. He doesn't tell him, you might catch fish. He doesn't tell him, see what happens. He says, go out in the deep. There will be a catch when you get there. But once again, Simon could have made an excuse. I've been, I've been fishing all night. I've been doing this. I've, I've tried. I'm a great fisherman. But he did what Jesus told him to do. Jesus spoke a blessing into his life. And it was a blessing that when he actually went into the deep and pulled up a fish, as we read earlier, or I told you earlier, not only did it fill his boat, but it filled James and John's boat as well, which was Jesus also removing another obstacle from his life. When he called him to discipleship, he couldn't say, well, I'm a fisherman. This is my industry. How will my family be taken care of? He overflowed him with financial blessing for his family for the future, for a time being, while he left to follow Jesus. Jesus made a, a declaration into his life. And I love the first part where he says, put out into the deep. He was specific. He was specific, which helps me or it makes me think, how often does God want to use us to declare a blessing or a prophetic word into someone's life, but we're still stuck in the shallow in our relationship with him? We're still stuck in the mundane. We're still doing the checkbox, the normal things every day. We have our routine. Answering the call is uncomfortable, as I said, which means at some point we have to get away from what's comfortable and maybe go a little bit more into the deep if we expect to catch anything, if we expect to disciple nations. What is God calling you to declare, to bless, to prophetically say into the lives of those around you? What blessings are prophetic words is God calling you to declare into the lives of those around you? The reason we can look at Jesus for this example of building discipleships and engaging in relationships of meeting a need, making a challenge, making a declaration, Jesus said he did nothing that his father told him not to do. He only did the things his father told him to do and to say, which meant that any time we read a story of Jesus, there's an example, there's a life lesson, there's a principle we can take from that and apply in our lives every day. He was the perfect example for how to lead, how to love, how to meet the needs, how to make a declaration and make a challenge to those around us. And to tie it into last week, when we choose to live life ready rather than getting ready, 
We are in position to answer the call, to meet a need, to make a challenge, to make a declaration to the people and nations God will bring to us. Uh, as I close, I, wanted, I, wanted to, I want to do a little exercise with you guys really fast. Maybe when I mentioned that first point about meeting a need, and this was my first thought even when I wrote it down. It's like, okay, God wants to use me to meet needs of people around me, but I have needs of my own. Like, I have things I need God to do in my life. And I wonder, with those needs we might see, maybe there's an obstacle we've put up there. Maybe an obstacle, some lie that we've believed that, that is preventing us from seeing what God is doing or to recognize he wants to use us in the state we're in. Maybe we have the wrong perspective of the, what we think some of our needs may be. But I want to give us an opportunity to, to, to try something that I think might, might help a lot of us. Here's what I want you to do. Just in your seat, in a moment, just still. You can have your pen and pencil ready because I want you to write down whatever you hear or whatever you see. I just want you to take a quick moment and have this conversation with God. Ask him, what needs am I not trusting you to meet in my life? What needs am I not trusting you to meet in my life? Just take a moment. Whatever you see, whatever you hear, write it down. Now, whatever those things are, whatever you saw, maybe whatever you heard, I want you to just take another moment to say, God, I give this back to you. Whatever that is, your, your need for perfection, your insecurities, your pride, your children, whatever those things were, just take a moment and tell God, I give this to you. Allow you to meet this need. If I can be honest, for me in first service, the thing I wrote down and I did the exercise with them, I had to give God my, my need for perfection, my need to present myself well. You know, whenever you get on stage to preach or to speak, you want people to understand what you're saying. You hope it impacts their life. And over the past week, this week was crazy. It was busy. And I didn't get to do my normal process for preparing a message and as I did that little exercise, like, God, am I, am I not meeting, am I not trusting you to meet a need within me? He's like, dude, can't you just trust that I'll use you in whatever state you're in? That when it's time for you to speak, I'll speak through you? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I had to check myself and seeing who I'm doing this for. Who am I really trying to please? Like, I'm, I'm happy when your life has changed, and that's great when you're happy. But more so, am I trying to please my father? Whatever that thing was for you, I encourage you to write, visit that thing regularly. And some, for some of those things, we need to turn it back over to God regularly. God, I give you whatever that, my desire to provide for myself. I give you that, that insecurity that I'm continually trying to meet in other areas. 
We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.